series right now that I've called Streams. So for six weeks, we're looking at not, not the streams of Christian groups, but streams of Christian thought. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the evangelical tradition, what it means to be witnesses for Jesus. Last week, I talked about the holiness tradition, what it means to be people who crave the righteousness of God. Uh, in a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to be talking about the social justice tradition, the incarnational tradition. Next week, Eric's going to teach on contemplative tradition. Here's the deal with Eric, all right? When he was on staff here, I knew that Malibu and Pepperdine was coming after him hard. And, and, and when we first started talking about it, I was like, there's no way he's going to take this job. It's Pepperdine. I don't think he wants to work on a university campus. He needs to be at Sycamore View. It's Malibu, but they call Memphis the Malibu of the Mississippi River. So that's, a, that's not it either, right? And then he said, yeah, they have this job description, and he mentioned the word contemplative. And I was like, oh, great, he's gone. Uh, I mean, it's, they use this, uh, Eric's just this guy who, with so, all the gifts he has, um, has a passion for the contemplative life and what it means for all of life. But today I'm talking about the, or we're talking about the charismatic tradition. I did a series about four or five years ago, a 20-week series on the Holy Spirit. And the big reason I did that is I had people from this church and older people from this church who had been coming up to me for about two years, and they were saying things like this. They said, I don't believe, I no longer believe what I was taught about the Holy Spirit, but I have no clue what to replace it with. Uh, and later on this fall, I'm going to be preaching about a nine-week series on Romans 8, which talks a lot about the Spirit. I invite you to read Romans 8. It's an amazing chapter. I can't wait to unpack that later this fall. But today, there's this charismatic tradition. And what we've talked about every week is that there are, the, the, there are these streams of Christian thought. And if we're not careful, what happens is we can get locked into one stream and never put a foot into another stream to see if it has something to teach us about God. And there's so much to God and who he is and what he has to offer that sometimes I think God's just inviting us, hey, will you just put your toe in, put your ankle and don't be fearful and see what I have to teach you. Because when it comes to the Holy Spirit, well, the way one person said it is for many of us, we grew up in churches that it was rational. It was about what you know. And what some churches did is they said, we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So we'll just give the charismatics the Holy Spirit. And we'll make sure we do everything we know to do with God and Jesus. And just give them the Spirit. And hopefully that'll be enough to get us in the end. The, the Bible has so much to say about the Spirit. So this morning I have a friend, Colin Packer. Colin preaches at a church in Dallas. I've seen the sermon he's going to preach this morning on the charismatic tradition. I can't wait for you to hear it. I was a youth intern at the Highland Oaks Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas back in 19, or 2000 and 2001. Colin was in my youth group. I was a 19-year-old. He was 15. And at that age, I saw something in him. I saw maturity. I saw passion. I remember there was a day at camp, and you maybe mentioned this in a minute, but I, I just had this moment. I was like, this summer, I've got to get alone with Colin to tell him this. I remember from when David was on his deathbed, King David, that he told his, Solomon, uh, he told his son Solomon one day, he said, it's time for you to step up and be a man. And there was a day I looked Colin in the face, and I was like, bro, it is time for you to step up and be a man. And to see him now leading a church, his wife Holly and their three kids are here. I'm so grateful for your life, for your ministry, and that... Uh, Sycamore View gets to have you today. So can we give Colin a nice Memphis Sycamore View welcome? I am, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning for several reasons. I love this city of Memphis, not because I've been here often, but my family has. My, my parents, my dad went through graduate school, the Harding Graduate School of Theology, and, 
and, uh, and were blessed here for several years as they were in their early years of, of marriage. My brother and sister-in-law, Clark and Laura Packer, were members of this church for a few years uh, while she was getting uh, her degree, and, and so it's good to be with you this morning. But I'm most thankful to be here because of Josh and Casey Ross and the, the impact they've made on my life, and I, I know how much of an impact they've made in so many of your lives. Josh, as he said, it was 2000, the summer that I was a follower of Jesus. I had uh, been baptized. I'd grown up in church all of my life. But I'd never had someone see something in me that I hadn't seen in myself and call it out like Josh did. And as I think about a week like this where many of you are going off to camp and I think about the possibilities, I remember back 17 years ago, I would not be in full-time ministry were it not for that conversation. I'm thoughtful of conversations that will go on this week. I want to be prayerful uh, along with this church that God will call uh, many different people in many different ways. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm grateful for you, Josh, and for Casey as well, for the ways that you've blessed our family. Uh, it's good to be with you, Sycamore View, this morning. Well, this is a great series. I love this idea of trying to pick out and t- dip a toe into these different streams. And I've learned so much as I stepped out of the small world that I grew up in in many ways. And I, I began to see that Jesus was a lot of other places that sometimes I hadn't ventured before. And uh, I, I want us to just start from the place I think, I think most of us are probably this morning. We desire more of the Spirit in our lives, right? Can we say that this morning? We want to know more of what the Spirit brings to us, of how the Spirit empowers our lives and gifts us for uh, work in the kingdom of God. A few years ago, uh, our, my family, we were on a, on a car trip, a little bit like our car trip now. We're actually on a, on a vacation. We went up to Kansas City earlier. We was at a conference with with Josh there, and, and then drove back down. We're going to vacation uh, this afternoon with my family a little bit later. But we're in the car a lot. And uh, my kids have, uh, have iPads uh, that they have in the car. Now, I mean, I know we're talking third world problems here, or first world problems, so uh, just bear with me with the story. But a couple years ago, we were in the car, and, and Addison, our, our two-year-old, was frustrated because she was trying to pull up Netflix on her iPad, she couldn't get it because we were in the car. You know, we don't have that 4G iPad business, right? I mean, we, we don't go crazy. But we had that Wi-Fi iPad. And, and if you don't know much about technology, what you need to know is that, you know, an, an iPad's only as good as the connection it has to the Internet, right? And we were in the car, and so, yeah, there were a few games that my daughter could play, but she was so frustrated. We couldn't explain to her. It's hard enough to explain to some of you all, right, how this works, but... But I think that analogy for me is what I realize my life has been like a lot of times. And what a lot of our churches have been like. We've been like Wi-Fi iPads disconnected from the source of life that lets us function to our full capacity. And this morning, as, as many of you are going to, to camp, I want us to turn on that function, to type in the password, to get connected to the source of life that we all need. Amen? So let's pray this morning as we begin Uh, our time in the Word today. God, I I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much that you did not leave us behind without help, God. You did not leave us without encouragement, but you left us with your Holy Spirit that is more than enough for whatever it is we're facing today. God, this morning I I pray along with, with Paul's prayer, God, with the prayers of the saints over the centuries, God, that you would You would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing so that we might be an encouragement to others. Fill us so that we might overflow on others the love of Jesus Christ. 
This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And God's people said, amen. I don't know what you think of when you think of the charismatic tradition or the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's Pentecostal churches or an experience you may have had going at one point. Or, or maybe it's you know, Benny Hinn and a, a healing service that you saw that's the first thought you have around the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it may be the Bible, right? Because for so long, many of us have connected the, the Bible as the only way the Holy Spirit interacts. And some of us grew up with that teaching. Or some of us grew up hearing about this Holy Ghost we weren't so sure about, right? But did you know that the Hebrew and Greek, in both of those languages that the Bible is written in, the word for spirit can be translated as a couple of different things. It can be spirit, but it can also be translated as wind or breath. That's true in the Greek language. That's true in the Hebrew language. I find that interesting, right? It's like it's the sense that the Holy Spirit is as close to us as our own breath, right? But it's also true the Holy Spirit is as uncontrollable as the wind. So you've had those experiences. I grew up playing golf in West Texas, and uh, I had to learn to play a little different game because the wind wasn't controllable. Sometimes it could be used, and you'd get a downwind hole, and it would work great, but sometimes you were into the wind, and you had to learn to play in the wind. But it wasn't something that was controllable. A few years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to try to go on on some fun uh, day trips with our kids. Uh, before they entered into kindergarten. Friday's my day off, my Sabbath. And so we, we always ask the question, what's going to bring life to us today? And we would go and we would engage that. And what we were trying to do was to engage all over the city of Denver where we were with different activities and, and museums and, and, and tie in something about, uh, about God to those experiences. And so we decided one day, well, we've talked about God, we've talked about Jesus, we've got to talk about the Spirit even though we're not so sure how to do this. How do you teach your kids about the Holy Spirit? So we decided one day we're going to go it was a windy day, and uh, we decided we we're going to go buy a, a kite at the store, and we we're going to go fly a kite. So at that time, my, my son was so excited about Lightning McQueen, so we went out and we got a Cars kite. It was about $10 probably. We got out there, and, and I've got to tell you, I was a novice kite flyer, still am not that you know, experienced. And so I thought this kind of average 30-mile-per-hour day would be a good day to go fly a kite. So we get, get to the store, we get the kite, we go out on this field right by a park, and, and, and the kids are so excited. We're going to go fly a kite with Dad, right? Mom and Dad. So we get out there and we unstring the kite, and, and it kind of gets up in the wind for about 10 seconds, and that kite string just breaks, and the kite flies into a moving car right beside the park. And my son Maddox is just bawling, he's crying, and you know, here I'm thinking, we failed when it comes to teaching him about the Holy Spirit, but we learned a lesson that day. Yes, the Holy Spirit is as close to us as our own breath, but the Holy Spirit is also an uncontrollable force. And we can do our best to harness the Holy Spirit, but we can do nothing to control the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives. As much as we might want to control the Spirit, we we can't even see the Holy Spirit. We can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, though, can't we? Just like that kite that day, we saw the wind. We, we, We couldn't see the wind itself. We saw the effects of the wind, and it caused some tears to flow that day. And in our own lives, it's the same, isn't it, right? I mean, we don't see the Holy Spirit, but can't you see the effects of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that's involved in our lives, the change in life? I can tell you that that day in 2000, there's been a change in my life because someone spoke a word and invited me to see deeper and to connect with the Spirit of God in my life. With the right tools, you can harness the wind, right? You can take a 
you, you can actually get all kinds of energy from a windmill that spins, and you can harness that, that spirit for something. You can't control it, but you can harness on a sailboat that's going across the lake, right? And I know in our world this all sounds perhaps a bit cheesy sometimes, doesn't it? Because the way we've been taught is that all that's true, all we can trust is what we can see and taste and touch and feel and hear. And so there's a part of us that's a little nervous about this talk about the Spirit. The modern world has taught us so much. And many of us have seen the excesses of the Holy Spirit as well. We've seen this used in ways that may not connect to who the heart of Jesus is. The Spirit does remind us of the truth that Jesus teaches. The Spirit does fill us in so many ways. But if you're anything like me in Churches of Christ, there's a built-in resistance to talking about the Holy Spirit. It's kind of in our DNA. I want to share uh, some of that history with you this morning. For those of you that may be new to this a church like, like Sycamore View or, or those that have grown up in maybe Churches of Christ all your life, uh, while churches like, like Sycamore View don't deny the ongoing work of the Spirit, some of you did grow up in churches where that was the reality of the teaching you received. And, and as I've looked into our history, I've begun to appreciate some of the reasons for the re- resistance that we've had to the Holy Spirit. I think there's some good reasons. It was a reaction of sorts against some, some excess. Uh, the Restoration Movement, which is where Churches of Christ came from, also sometimes known as the Stone Campbell Movement, uh, was a movement that began uh, in the early 1800s. It was the Second Great Awakening time. It was a time where revivals were going on all around, and people were coming in droves to Jesus. If you want to read something that's fascinating later today, just write down Cane Ridge Revival and Google that, okay? Our people were there. Barton Stone was there that day. He reports back to some of the happenings of what the Holy Spirit was doing as these revivals were blowing, blowing new life. Uh, the Spirit was at work in many ways. But Barton Stone was one of those people that was there. And part of the, the, the reason that people came to the revivals was this was a time where Calvinism was kind of uh, high, at a, at a high point. And, and the belief was that if, if you were one of God's elect, God elects some to be saved and he doesn't elect others to be saved and he predetermines those things. And, and so the idea is if you have an experience at one of these revivals, an emotional experience, that's a confirmation that you are one of God's elect according to the teaching at many of these revivals. And so Barton Stone was, 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 was a young man who was longing to receive an experience to confirm that he was one of God's elect. And so for an entire year, he was going from revival to revival, praying and longing to have this experience that would confirm that he was saved, that he was one of God's children. And there was no experience that was able to confirm that for Barton. And and part of our hesitancy about the Holy Spirit, I think, was a reaction to this sort of teaching, right? Because what we discovered is you can open the Bible. We're a back-to-the-Bible people that the Spirit of God works in more ways than just through the ways we see at these revivals. There was an affirmation that Barton had that stuff's going on with the Spirit here that I, I can't deny. But, but he came to faith because he was able to open the Scripture and he was able to see that, that our response to Jesus isn't waiting on anything to happen in an emotional way to confirm that. But we can come because we know that God beckons all people to come to a saving knowledge of who He is. And so we reacted against some of that. We, re, we reacted to say, no, no, you can read the Bible and you can respond. And you don't need to wait on this experience to confirm that you're one of God's elect. So in some ways it was a healthy reaction. But I think we, we swung the pendulum so far that we almost said that, well, really the Bible's the only place the Spirit works and not 
the Spirit's continuing action. Very rationalistic movement, as, as Joshua said. We, that's been a benefit. Our, our schools and our education systems have been a blessing to the world. And we believe that anyone can respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, respond and receive salvation. And I think some of us can admit that that DNA is still in us, isn't it? This wariness about excess, this worry, wariness about emotionalism. We've, we've in some ways tried to keep people from having an experience sometimes rather than being open to the experience that God would bring us to. We were a sola scriptura people, right? Scripture alone will bring us to the truth. And then one of these weeks, I think that's one of the focuses, one of the streams. But for this week, the stream is about the Spirit of God. Barton Stone was open to that idea. He didn't have that experience himself, but he was very open and talked about the Spirit's movement at places like Cane Ridge. Even Alexander Campbell was not quite as open as Stone, but he believed the Spirit indwelled Christians. And that reaction... Uh, that I'm talking about has been built into our DNA. I think we have to be aware of that. And, and i got to be honest, I grew up with that kind of reaction to those things until one day when I was 18 years old. I was uh, going to school at Abilene Christian looking to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, following in my father's footsteps who was a, a preacher. And, and I was learning from some of the best. Randy Harris was teaching our class. He's a professor at ACU, and he was teaching us through the New Testament. And he was teaching a, in a section in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which may be something you want to read a little bit later this week. We'll go to it in a, in a little bit, actually. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is a section that talks about the excess that's going on in Corinth when it comes to spiritual gifts. And he talks about the gifts of prophecy, and he talks about the gifts of speaking in tongues and interpretation and healing and all of these things. And and, and he has a lot to say there. And so I was sitting in Randy's class, and I was just, I was soaking this all in. And, and that weekend, uh, my, my girlfriend and I, Holly's here, my wife now at the time, we were driving to, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to meet up with my family to go to my brother's uh, high school football game. And, and so we were on our way to, to do that. We met at a Crystal's Pizza. If you've ever been to Abilene, you may have remembered this, but they had one in DFW as well. We were at this Crystal's Pizza, and we're eating Pizza, and I'm, I think I'm learning everything my parents have never even considered, right? That's what college students think, right? Like, I'm, they've never considered this stuff about 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, my dad with a doctorate of ministry degree. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing with them all my excitement, all my passion. I'm sharing with them about this excess, about what's going on in Corinth. And it, in the middle of the conversation, I can't remember exactly how it happened. I said to my mom, who started to kind of, I could tell, have some pushback to some of what I was saying. She said, I said, well, Mom, it's not like you've ever spoken in tongues. And all of a sudden, there was a silence. And finally, she said, Colin, you don't know all that's gone on in my spiritual journey. I've, have you ever had one of those moments before? Where everything in your life that you thought was up all of a sudden gets turned around? This was a moment of cognitive dissonance for me. It's not something that I knew about my mom's experience at all. and It's not something that she's ever even shared publicly, really. I asked for her to share permission to share this story with you today. My mom, if, if you don't know, she, she's one of the most spirit-filled people you would ever meet. She's a five-foot-one woman that's full of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen the fruit of the Spirit in her life, but that day everything was unlocked in me. It was unhinged. I didn't even know how to hear these words. It was a moment of cognitive dissonance where you know two things can't be true at the same time, right? My religious upbringing taught me that these gifts had stopped in the first century. But my own mother, who to this day is the most spirit-filled person that I know, 
was sharing experiences I thought were a thing of the past. What do you do in those moments? You have two choices in those moments, don't you? You can stick to the belief you've always had and deny the experience of the person in front of you, or all of a sudden you can begin to ask a question and say, maybe God's larger than the box that I'd put him in all my life. This is not a story that my mom shares with pride at all. But when she was in a season of darkness, it was a season with an eating disorder. It was an openness to the Spirit that was a change in her life that changed that conflict in her life. And she came to healing in her life. It was a larger experience of the Spirit than I had categories for growing up. I gotta tell you, I've never had an experience like that before in my life. I, but Paul does say something to us that we've got to pay attention to in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bibles open with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 and following. In the midst of this section that I was sharing with my parents about not even knowing the lesson of education I would get in the moment. This was the section of scripture that I was spending time with, and it's still important in this season. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? Paul encourages us to desire these kinds of gifts. And the reality is, a lot of us in this room have experienced gifts. We've experienced healing in our lives. No, you all have a, a Celebrate Recovery ministry here, right? Stories are told about transformation in my own church. It's amazing to hear the ways in my own life Celebrate Recovery has been a, a ministry of blessing that saved me uh, in my own life. I think about gifts of healing. I think about these things. And, I, and growing up, it was, well, that was in the past. But I'm realizing that many of us have had experiences of breakthrough, and, and we like to chalk it up to coincidence rather than naming it and giving glory and honor to the one who's the only one who can provide that healing in so many circumstances. A few weeks ago, I was in my own church. I was in a class, and there was this woman who was sharing this experience, and she was talking about how this conference that she'd gone to. And, and, and she said, you know, I've never experienced God as clearly as I did in that moment. But when I got in the car, and she was ashamed to even say what happened. I still don't know to this day what happened at that conference. But she said, I, I got back in the car with my sister, and I realized I can't share with my community of faith this story. The next day she emailed uh, my wife and me and she, she said, I, I want you to know that was a scriptural thing and I apologize for creating any problem that I might have created. And it, it just struck me when I heard that story. I don't know if it was a story that was related to the charismatic stream or not, but what I know is this. In John chapter 9, there's a story with a man who was born blind. And he's healed by Jesus and the Pharisees are upset about it. And they ask the, the guy questions he's healed, but then they go to the parents. You remember this, right? And they go to the parents, and, and they were making sure that this son was really blind from birth, and they're wondering who actually healed him. And in the end, you know what? They, this is the greatest moment in these parents' lives. Imagine having a child that you long to have healing come in their lives. Imagine that being your desire all of your life, and one day it happens, but then the religious leaders come around, and because of fear, they stay silent, and they say, 
Speak to our son. He's of age. He can answer for you. Imagine that kind of fear being present. And and recently, I just had to say to my church, I don't want us to be the kind of place that the most alive experiences where people come to know Jesus are the things they have to be most silent about out of fear of how it will be received. It's important for us to give life and word to what the Spirit of God is doing, but sometimes we're fearful to share these kinds of experiences because of fear. Now, I want to come back to Scripture because I think it's important to line up what I'm sharing in terms of experience, right, which we all have. Uh, Come back to Scripture and say, how does this fit? Because we've read Scripture in a certain way. And what I'm about to share is one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, things that I've learned about the Spirit as I've done this study over the past few years. We've debated about the Spirit. Is it word only, right? That reaction that was there early on, that the Spirit only works for the book, and that's, that's kind of it. Is, the, is there an indwelling of the Spirit? Is there still ongoing gifts of the Spirit? But I don't believe the word only view of Scripture came from reading the Bible. I don't think you can read it if you just read the Bible for what it says. We as Protestants, we, we say we're sola Scripture Christians, but the truth is that so many other things affect our interpretation, don't they? It's our own experience. It's... It's walking with others. It's learning and seeing Scripture in new ways. And what makes me say that is that we just need to read the Bible. Think about this with me for a moment. Our movement set out to restore the first century church. And we did the best we could with that. We tried to do everything we could, follow the pattern to get things as they should be. And so what do you assume once you've kind of put things back to the way they should be? Once you've restored things, the assumption is our experience must be the same experience of that of the early church. There were some problems though, right? Because as you read the story of Acts, you realize there's some things that show up in the book of Acts that don't show up in the experience of the church that's trying to restore the story of the book of Acts, right? I mean, in my experience growing up, I never saw anyone speak in tongues. I didn't even know what an interpretation of tongues would look like. I I didn't know anything about prophecy or healings or or these gifts. But if we restored the first century church, there must be a reason for these different experiences, right? So we went to Scripture, which was our first impulse, a good impulse, right? How do we read our current experience being different from the experience we read in Scripture? It was a problem. And so we found a passage that actually defended our lack of experience. It's from 1 Corinthians 13. You just turn over just to the next chapter. Paul writes about these different gifts as he continues on. And this is 1 Corinthians 13, continuing in verse 8. We know what comes right before this about love, but listen to what follows it. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So we came across a verse like that. We said, see, it says it right there, right? There's a day on its way where those gifts are going to be no more. Prophecies, tongues, all of this will cease. And when will they cease? Verse 10 says, when perfection comes or when completeness comes. The word there in the Greek is the word teleon, right? It's this word about the end of things coming, about perfection and completeness, mature, lacking nothing. So our thought was, well, if we've restored the first century church and we're not experiencing these manifestations of the Spirit, then then completeness must have already come at some point between now and then. And so many came to believe that completeness referred to the completion of the Bible, In other words, the Holy Spirit was needed until that last stroke of the Bible was complete and we had that book in our hands. And once the Holy Spirit completed what He came to complete, the Holy Spirit was kind of done. But a good reading of 13 
10. 1 Corinthians 13 10 doesn't end in verse 10. It continues on, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Don't you look forward to that day? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We see dimly today, don't we, church? See things as in a mirror. But then, what, what's then referring to there? Well, in context, it's referring, referring back, I think. First forward to verse 11. It's when the completeness comes is when that then is. We shall see face to face. You see, completeness is not when the Bible was complete. Completeness is when we see God face to face as we all long to one day. And I cannot wait for that day, can you? I long for the day to see God face to face, to see things clearly. See, we didn't get this view of Holy Spirit from the Bible. And this realization has been huge for me, that even though churches of Christ have said that we are Bible people, sola scriptura, our view of the Holy Spirit has been almost fully determined by our experience or our lack of it, rather than the Spirit of God moving in our lives. But just because we weren't experiencing the Spirit of God does not mean that's what we should expect in our relationship with God. We should long for more of the Holy Spirit. With Paul, we pray, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. What, think about that phrase, fill us with your Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians 5.17, right? It's a passive phrase, isn't it? There's not anything we can do to fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit. It's be filled. It's a passive thing that God does in our lives. And, and it's a plural there. It's not you should be filled with the Spirit. It's all y'all, right? It's the church at large. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a present there in that passage as well. It's continue being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is the prayer we ought to be praying, church. God, as we enter into our week this week, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? God, as we enter into our lives in this challenging meeting that we have ahead, God, would you fill us with our Holy Spirit so we might act like the Spirit-filled people of God? As we enter into camp this week, God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit. You see, even though we couldn't see it at the time, we got our view of the Holy Spirit from our experience, our lack of it, rather than the Scripture that we pointed to, which really takes us all back to the chapter we all remember growing up, right? If you grew up in church, Acts 2 is one of those chapters. It's Pentecost. It's an amazing scene. It's the undoing of Babel, isn't it, right? right? Babel, all the languages are being separated. People are being sent different ways. But in Acts chapter 2, it's the undoing of Babel. All of these people from different nations come together, and the Spirit of God helps them understand almost as if it's in one language through this gift that the Spirit gives. And there was a verse I memorized like many of you did too, probably. Acts 2, if you turn there with me, Acts 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of you memorized that verse? You could say it probably first thing in the morning when you wake up. I think I memorized that before I learned the alphabet. And I've responded to that message that Peter gave, as thousands did on that day at Pentecost. But watch the verse that follows, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all 
who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's for us, church. The promise doesn't end with those that Peter was preaching to. The promise is for those who've been baptized into his name, who repent of the way of life we were on. We're set on a new course, and we are empowered by the Spirit of God that transforms us, and that empowers us, changes us, and moves us, and speaks if we're silent enough long enough to hear. Eric will say more about that next week. It's easy to look around us in North America and have a little bit of doubt about the future of the church here, isn't it? It's easy to look around and see dwindling numbers, and it's easy to look around and see reasons for concern. It's easy to look around at the millennial generation and wonder, is this going to continue? Because they're not coming back after marriage and having kids as often as previous generations were. A heart and a burden, just as I know so many of you do as well, that we pass this baton of faith. That's why so many of you are going this week to spend times with millennials and even the generation. I don't even know what they're called after that, but there'll be another name, right? And you're pouring into those children and you're sharing a message of faith that can change and shape and move them. And you're passing along a message about the Spirit of God that's at work in their lives. There are reasons to be discouraged. But there are reasons to be encouraged when you look across the world at the global south. You look at South America, you look at Africa, you even look to East Asia, you look to China about the stories of house churches and dreams of taking the gospel back from China back to the road all the way back to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps even a, or hundreds of, of, of millions, perhaps even a, up, upwards of a billion that could be there soon, Christians day by day coming to know Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? Now that God's continually on the move and so much of that movement in the global south it's this stream that's reaching them. I'm hearing stories right now out of the Muslim world of refugees that are going into Europe right now who are experiencing visions of Jesus coming to them just like in those early centuries. And they're being converted to know Jesus as Lord, Isa, in their language. When I hear those stories, there's part of me that says, now I, I learned this stuff didn't go on. I learned that was a thing of the past. But our hope, church, is that the Spirit would continue to do those things, isn't it? Beyond our explanation, beyond what we can explain and grab onto and rationalize with our heads, I I hope the Spirit of God is at work beyond the boxes that I have for Him even now. Because I wouldn't want to worship a God I could put in a box. I want to worship the God who breaks out of every single box I try to put Him inside of. My prayer for you this week is that we would pray that same prayer of Paul in Ephesians 5.17. God, whatever you want to do with us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Right now, I want to ask those who are prayer leaders, elders, uh, to, to go ahead and come up front for the prayers of the people at this time. I want to invite us into a season of prayer that perhaps you want to respond. Perhaps that's a prayer you want to pray. Someone else is, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Continue doing that. That's a passive thing we can't muster. We need you, God, to do what only you can do. I think it's worth dipping our toe into the stream. And I'm grateful for Josh's challenge to to continue to look at the different places that that may look different than the box we were handed, but God is sure at work in the world, and I'm grateful for it. So right now what I want to invite you to do during this time is if you would lay your hands open as an openness to God to receive whatever gift he wants to give in this season for you, would you 
Would you open your hands right now? And we, I want us to pray together in this moment that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. Let's pray now. Our God, our Father, you've been a God who has done miraculous things throughout the centuries. With your word alone, you spoke the world into existence. You journeyed with your people and you heard the cry while we were in bondage in the Exodus story. You walked with your people through the wilderness and did amazing things. You parted the Red Sea. And even after languages were divided, we see a story in Jesus coming back together with a promised Holy Spirit who in Acts chapter 2 brings together your people from all the different tribes and nations and languages. And you make them one people, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit doing the miraculous. God, even early on in the church's story, we see these stories. And even into the 19th century with our own people, God, we see people who are impacted. And God, we're grateful for Scripture because we know the Spirit of God works not just in miraculous ways, but through the miracle of Scripture that you've passed down to us, we know the Spirit has has formed those words. You have breathed life into these words and you continue to do it. And so, God, we thank you for this gift of Scripture. But, God, we also thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit who continues to empower, who continues to move in ways that are beyond our control. God, we, we want to harness the Spirit. We know we can't control the Spirit. We know the Spirit is as close as our own breath, and we're grateful, God. But this morning, God, we pray with Paul and with the church at Ephesus. God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you keep on filling us with your Holy Spirit? Would you allow that Spirit to overflow in our lives so that it may be obvious to the world around us of the unity we have with one another, of the encouragement that we pour out onto others, of the message of Jesus that we continue to preach with our lives and with our words. God, we eagerly desire your Spirit more and more in our lives, and we ask you to fill us. That's the name of Jesus that we pray this prayer. Amen.